Well, good morning, church. Good morning to everybody who's live streaming. Good morning to everybody who will watch the recorded message. Good morning to my Dodger family on Facebook. Good morning to everyone who will tune in, but especially to you that are here with us today. Uh, it's such an honor and a privilege to deliver God's word, um, not to be taken lightly. And I can be a bit of a humorist and try to find good humor in many things. And I learn differently than most people. I learn by looking at things. I learn by doing things, not necessarily just reading. So when I dig into God's word, I like to uh, study historical aspects and it helps me. Hopefully it helps you as we move through some of this. But what I wanna do today is I wanna kind of set the scene or the location of where God's word is coming to us from scripture today. And I'd like to bring up the first uh, piece of media here. This is the state of Israel. And that map is in the back of many Bibles. I encourage you to look at it online. But basically that, uh, that outline that marks uh, 1948 boundaries when the state of Israel was uh, reinstated in one day as God's word promised. And then there's some boundaries there that happened at a later date. So May the 14th, 1948, some 73 years ago, uh, much to the unpublicized and non-fanfare, all of a sudden one day, Israel becomes a state. The British controlled the Palestinian region through World War II. And in turning that over, literally in one day, it becomes a state. The newborn United Nations recognized Israel as a state. The first country, the United States, and our president, Harry S. Truman, was the first dignitary, first state leader to recognize the state. And they immediately started in war. Immediately the neighbors of the state of Israel detested it, did not want to recognize it, wanted to do away with it entirely, did not want it to exist. That was put down rather quickly and the state of Israel existed. There were six days in the middle of June, 1967, that began on human notes on a, uh, a difference in transporting trade through the waters around the state of Israel. We know that God had a plan. And through that six days, the Israeli boundaries were pushed back to places that we see and hear about on the news my entire life, at least every week. The Golan Heights to the north and the east of Israel, which were controlled by the Syrians. The West Bank of the Jordan River, from really East Jerusalem to the Jordan River, the Israelis pushed back there. And then of course the, uh, the Egyptians in that it still remained the Gaza Strip, but the Israelis pushed the Egyptians back clear through the Sinai Peninsula. The difference in what that meant politically and today has been a source of fighting, war, aggravation, a lot of tears, a lot of bloodshed since that time. But God had a plan. God has a plan for Israel. Let's take a look at... Uh, the aerial view looking south onto the Sea of Galilee. This is known today as Lake Tiberias. 
You can see Capernaum there on your left. There's a little cove where Jesus sat in a boat and delivered some parables. Uh, Moving on to the satellite picture, you can see the Jordan River actually enters this body of water from the north and it exits that body of water in the south, goes on down through. And it's about 14 miles long at its longest point, about seven miles wide at its widest point, has a shoreline of some 32 miles. Many, many things happen here. Jesus calmed the stormy sea here in Matthew 8. Jesus and subsequently Peter walked on the water here in Matthew 14. But for this lesson, Peter, uh, Jesus is sitting in a boat. Uh, back on November 8th, God bless YouTube and the ability to have us record these messages. If you missed that when you're able to go back on our website, on our app and YouTube and look up November 8th, we talked about the parable of the sower which was the first that that Jesus gave. We learned that the word was the seed that was sown. We learned that the soil was representative of the heart. We learned that the wayside soil, the hardened soil, was a path where people would walk through and around the agriculture areas. And when the seed fell on the wayside soil, the birds, which represented Satan, would swoop in and pick the seed up so it did not have a chance to germinate. Then we heard about the rocky soil where the seed would take root and spring up really quick, but it had no depth of soil and soon would wither away. We learned about the weedy or the thorny soil where again, it would sprout up and the weeds would choke out, starve it for water again, would wither wither and die. And then we learned about the plowed soil, the ones, the only ones who were saved, the people that had the plowed soil. So parables... Uh, something that the multitude or the crowd in this particular situation understood. Jesus only spoke to the multitudes in parables. And if we look at Matthew chapter 13 and verse 34, it says all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables and without a parable, he did not speak to them. Parables teach us about the mystery age, the church age. This is a period of time from the rejection of the Messiah to his return. It's the period of time that we live in right now. So wanting to make it real again, we'll take a look. This is what's believed to be Sower's Cove. Uh, This is the believed, it's irrelevant if it was a few hundred yards or so east or west of there, but this is the, the cove that theologians believe was the spot. You can see the agriculture that goes on around it. So the the multitude that was here, this was their lifestyle. So Jesus is going to speak to them in regard to agriculture. So, you know, what the crowd understood. Let's, uh, let's take a look at Matthew 13, verses 24 and 25. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So tares, let's take a look at this one. Darnel, darnel, um, this, is the, this is the local weed that looks very, very similar to wheat. And then before it matures, it's, it's virtually impossible to tell the difference. 
Uh, maybe a tuned farmer could look at that and say, oh, well, but the reality is, is one doesn't know until that crop matures. Has a fungus or a poison that would damage or affect the desired crop of wheat, and it could really hurt the farmer's income and what ended up being the crop in, in return. Um, done purposely, the Romans actually, this was a crime, and there was punishment for someone sowing in the competitor's field uh, darnel, which would overtake and ruin the crop. If we look at uh, once it does mature, now you can see it standing up above the rest. There's a the definite, uh, definite difference there. But if before it matures, and I, I'd like to liken things to our, our, our lawn at home. Uh, this next one, uh, this looks great when I keep it mowed and I keep it watered and it looks all green. I can be so proud of that and I don't zoom in on my picture. I just think it looks, uh, it looks terrific. But the reality is that's weeds, folks. There might be some grass in there or whatever, but that is just weeds in my backyard. But for a period of time, it can look good. If I don't do anything with it, boy, it shoots up and you have some pretty ugly, pretty ugly looking stuff. So the act of the enemy here is vicious and cruel. In this particular parable, this particular parable, this sowing of the, sowing of the darnel or the, the tars into the field is very, very destructive. Let's look at uh, verses 26 and 27. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tars also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then do we have tars? Well, the wheat and tars grow together. Definitely different grains. But the farmer knows he sowed good seed in the, in the field he planted. So therefore, he also knows that it was the enemy. When we work in our field at home, whether it's your flower bed, your lawn, you're just trying to keep on an agriculture. Some of you may be farmers, may have uh, history or, or something of, of the agriculture realm. You know that you prepared your soil. You know that you did, yet these, these tars, these things still come. Let's look at, at six. So when Hank drives around with Gampy and we're mowing down the, the, the tars and the wheat, we can keep things looking uh, we can keep things looking good from a distance perspective. But if we let it go, you've heard of your lawn going to seed. You see lawns are vacant and the lawns grow up and they begin to produce seed. So that's what we're talking about. So the multitude here understood agriculture. But I wonder what, what if, if Jesus were to come into a different, a different area at that time or if he were to come today and he wants to tell a parable and he wants to look at that, He's not going to show up and say downtown San Francisco and talk about a wheat farm and tars and this type of stuff. It, 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 they're not going to understand it. Um, so I liken uh, the multitude here for this, these purposes. Everybody knows I'm a baseball fan and I'm a Dodger fan. So we're gonna just go, we're gonna go with that. But this message could be given anywhere. It could be given in San Francisco, Cincinnati. It could be a football field. Whoever the multitude is, they're going to understand what that's coming from. So humor me a bit that by today's purposes, the field here in this parable is to a Dodger crowd. So the Dodger fans are going to represent the desired crop, the wheat. Let's take a look at the first one. So 
These are just all solid souls right here. Good Dodger fans, solid folks, God's people. And uh, they're going to represent that. And then we'll, get, we'll put it down to a little, a little bit narrower crowd. This is my family. And they've been raised Dodger fans in a Dodger crowd. So we all can rejoice together. And this is the field that this particular multitude is going to talk about. But you know, God can turn tars into wheat. Amen? Right? He can turn tars into wheat. So we live our lives around those tars every day. For the purposes of this parable, if you will, I want us to remember that when Jesus gave a parable, it didn't mean that other crops other than wheat were evil, represented Satan, anything like that. A lamp that was full of oil or didn't have oil wasn't uh, demonic or have any crazy connotations to it, how many uh, coins you had and whatnot. So he used it as an example to make his point. So when we move forward in this, keeping in mind that this parable could be given to any crowd, anywhere, any multitude, know that when we talk about non-Dodger fans representing Tars, we love these people through and through. Embrace yourselves. So, it's too late uh, when they're in the desired crop is what Jesus is telling us. So at some point, we put, you know, the tars are going to grow up. They're going to grow up within the wheat, and they're in there. Now, to be fair, uh, Mark and I are buddies. I love him, and I actually obtained that giant's hat for him. So God love him. And if, he, if this service was being given at, uh, at AT&T Park, would well, it be the other way around? And I'd be the tar in this particular shot. Let's look at Matthew 13, 28 and 29. He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tars, you also uproot the wheat from them. So they're twisted together, right? A, a prudent farmer on the edge, maybe on the wayside soil, could, he could reach in and grab, but the, the vast part of the field here, if he goes in to get the tars, he's gonna trample the wheat, he's gonna pull it out because the wheat is oftentimes twisted together with the desired crop. Let's look at nine. So here, <laughs> you can see you can see they're kind of, we use the word intertwangled sometimes, right? If, if the farmer was to come in and try to extract the tars, he'd pull the wheat loose, right? So this is, you know, we, we, we love these folks and we want them to turn into, turn into the wheat. That's for sure. So the multitude understood agriculture. The multitude here maybe more understands Major League Baseball. What they don't understand and didn't understand is always the, the eternal consequences of the kingdom, right? They don't equate the story to the kingdom. Let's look at verse 30. He continues, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tars and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So the parable ends, there's a lot of wondering here. Who was the sower? Who was the planter? To the multitude, they don't understand this. Who were the helpers or the servants? Why three periods of time, planting, waiting, harvesting? Jesus tells uh, at this point two smaller 
but significant parables about the mustard seed, the small seed that grows like a tree, rapid growth of the church and the kingdom. But in, the, in this local area, a mustard seed, if left unharvested, will actually grow to as tall as 15 feet, like a tree, and uh, from that much smaller seed, and it, it, it won't remain pure. The birds, which Jesus described, describing the previous parable of the sower, represented Satan. So when he says the birds came to rest on the tree, it was that evil that would then infiltrate that rapid church growth. Then he told a parable of the leaven or the yeast, not evil spreading in the church, but the leaven or yeast represented the kingdom spreading in the world. Things the multitude could understand. Again, they don't understand the kingdom perspective. But praise God, Jesus explains it, amen? He doesn't leave us hanging in that. So we move on to uh, verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away, went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tars in the field. So Jesus gets out of the boat. He walks through the crowd. He goes back to the house in Capernaum where he was staying. The disciples come to him and say, essentially, what was up with that? They don't understand it either. So wondering, why would God allow this? Why would God, if this was the kingdom, tolerate the imperfection of the tars in the field with the desired crop in the kingdom? So at this point, I have to do a little bit of housekeeping here because I've, in, I've injected a, a baseball narrative in this and I want people's focus to come back to the kingdom purposes. So I look around the crowd and I'm, I'm thinking, here's, here's my buddy Dale over here. He's, he's thinking to himself, oh, baseball's coming up in just a week, right? Thinking about Dodger dogs and food and stuff, easy to do. On the shore, the multitude when Jesus is giving this is probably thinking of their field and how they've endured tars growing. And maybe their focus is less on that this is like the kingdom of God and they're thinking about the agriculture. Let's take a look at the next one. So this is just gonna, we're just gonna address the flesh here and we're gonna take a look at this just really quick. We're gonna run through these. This is your doyer dog, Dale. I know you're jonesing about this. I wanting to get back to that. Let's take a look at, at the next one. So. This is, uh, this is my oldest son, Haas, and he introduced me to the going yard dog. That's a foot and a half long sausage there, folks. There's an up close shot of it there. Little corn salsa on there, huh? We can get fired up about this. This is a great looking field. Let's take a look at that one now. Here's, uh, here's a couple of old salts, right? I don't know, you might know these guys. These are your garden variety Dodger dogs. So these guys were all over it. I think this was a dollar Dodger dog night. But this was, this was great stuff. So, and the last version of this thread. Now, this is my youngest son, Joe. Um, you, many of you have heard and have participated in our Facebook. We've got a uh, Top Deck Ministries. Joey is the minister of uh, meals there. And, and Joe will find out what delicacies are being made and sold at the ballpark. And they never sell them on the Top Deck. So he will go to the bowels of the stadium in the two hours are there before the game to select all of these things and try them and write a little op-ed. So, okay, that covers that. Okay, now we've cleared our mind back on kingdom purposes. Matthew thirteen thirty-seven. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. Jesus cuts right to the quick here. 
He doesn't, they said, hey, what's up? What did it mean? He's going to tell them what it means. Jesus sows the good seed. This is a, a sequel, if you will, to the parable of the sower and taking this on. And he only explains this to his disciples. He didn't stand on the shoreline and explain it to the multitudes because they just weren't going to get it. Verse 38, the field is the world. The good seeds are the the sons of the kingdom, but the tars are the sons of the wicked one. So the field is the whole world. It's not just the church. Many would read this and think this is just talking about within the church, but the reality is that the whole world can be the church, and the church is in the whole world. But the good seeds are the saved. The good seeds are those that have a relationship with Jesus. Sons and daughters of the king. The tars represent the unsaved. Sons and daughters of the wicked one. Jesus wants everyone on his team. Let's take a look at the next. So he sows the good seed today through his children, right? This is what maybe my lawn looks like if I bring it back to that. It's got all kinds of stuff growing in it. But again, Jesus turns tars into wheat. Let's take a look at the next. This is who who sows the good seed today as children. Many of you have been to the ballpark with me and have experienced what we do at the stadium And everyone has an opportunity in that field, in your field, in the areas that you live and work and play in today to spread God's word and to sow that seed, to sow that good seed. Let's look at uh, verse 39. The enemy who sowed them, the tars, is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. So Jesus is explaining this where they can't misunderstand. The enemy's the devil. And the devil makes his way through the good field where the good seed has been sown. Now you can't make this stuff up. I actually took this picture. This is a real life human being at the good field. And I was somewhat stunned that someone could do this and make such a proclamation, but there it is. Satan is there. Satan is sowing in your world. He's sowing in your world. Harvest time, the end of the church age. This is the rapture. Again, back to YouTube. Um, I spoke on August 23rd. If you want to know more about that, we're not going to go too hard down that road, but put a lot of information out there at the time and in, in, uh, preaching about the end times. Again, August 23rd, but the the reapers here, as Jesus says, are the angels. Now, this would have been convenient, wouldn't it? But this has absolutely nothing to do with the message. But I thought I'd throw it in there anyway. These are the baseball world, what we call fallen angels. So (laughs) noting the team colors even red, so I'm not trying to read too much into that. But what we're talking about here, Jesus' angels are the angels sent by God to protect the saved. So this one works a little bit better. There's folks in the good field that are there that we don't always see. Got to show up early to see these guys. But people are sent to protect us, right? The angels from heaven are sent to protect the believers. The Tars will have many, many opportunities. 
No one's left without an opportunity to seek a relationship with Jesus. When when the end comes, the Tars, they will remember every opportunity that they had. Every opportunity will be vivid. It'll be in front of their face forever. So separation from God is isolation and darkness, right? So you're tormented. The wheat will have accepted the free gift of salvation, chosen a relationship with Jesus, opted for a journey to heaven, eternity with the Lord. This is the choice everyone has to make. How are they gonna get there? Probably not this, but I thought that was cool to throw that out there. I'll fly away, right? Maybe we fly away on the Dodger plane. Be kinda cool. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel. And with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Amen? Tars have a choice to make. They have a choice to make. Jesus is calling. Will you answer? He's waiting. He'll continue to wait. Matthew 13, 40. He'll continue. Therefore, as the tars are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Again, end of the church age, the rapture, the wheat is taken out. Eternity with Jesus, happier than ever. I tried to think, you know, I, I, I love baseball, but I love many things. I enjoy, I enjoy many, many different activities, hunting, fishing. The elation that comes when I'm fishing, A, 100% concentration on the subject matter. Everything else in my mind is moved out. I don't think about any, any ills of my life that may be going on. A 100% concentration on what I'm focusing on, which is a fish. And then the elation when one actually strikes the fly. Game on. Doesn't last very long, but this is just wonderful. Whatever it is that you do, skydiving, right, hiking, bike riding, there's times where you can just push everything that's ill in your world out. So I thought, how can I make this happen and just show a a small clip? When we're with Jesus, and I can't even begin to explain what this is going to be like, because in my human sense to evaluate this now, I'm going to be so happy to be with the Lord, but then I'm told through Scripture that I won't have a concern in the world. I won't be. I won't be any. I won't be any longer uh, fretting over those that I love and care about that aren't there. I'm here to tell you I don't know how that happens, but I know that it does. I have faith that it does. So just as an example of elation and seeing people that have pushed everything aside in their life, watch this for a few seconds.
Okay, so for just for a snapshot of time, whatever it is that you do that takes you out of thinking about the trials and tribulations of your life, it's gonna be like that all the time because we're in the presence of God. Amen? This is what we've got with the wheat. This is awesome. How quickly does this happen? How quickly do we transfer from this life of trials and tribulation to that life? Let's look at Matthew 24, 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. This is a private event for the wheat, private event for the believer. The wrath of God, tribulation for the tars. That's the difference. There's two choices here. There's but two teams. You're either with Jesus and you're on his team or you're not. This is the simple truth of the matter. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 9 and 10, it says, For God did not appoint us, wheat or believers, to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That is a promise we can take to the bank. That's what he tells us. That's what he tells us. In Matthew 25, 41, he says, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That was the left hand. And the right hand were the sheep. The left hand were the goats. They were the tars. Cursed in that verse, Greek word, kataraoma, means doomed. Doomed means that's it. There's not another opportunity. You're doomed. All who rejected Jesus until the end. What's the end? Death in this life or the end of the tribulation? Should you be living as I believe we all will when Jesus returns? That'll be the end. Jesus warns of the consequences of a lack of commitment. That's what this is. That's exactly what these parables are. He's telling us what the kingdom of God will be like. This isn't just a story. It has a destination meaning where we're going to end up. In verse 41, he continues and says, the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those people who practice lawlessness. So all things that offend, this was quite a, when we start to think about this, all things that offend, there's books that offend Movies that offend, pictures that offend. There won't be any pornography. There won't be any child abuse, sexual abuse, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Anything God hates will be gathered together. All people who have rejected the king will be gathered together. It's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. That's our two choices. In verse 42... He continues, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. They're rejected. 
right? After a baseball theme, the umpire's tossing them. Yeah, that's me. Thanks to uh, throw that in there. They're being rejected. They're being rejected at the end. They've waited too long. Torment and suffering. Scripture's full of examples of what that's going to be like. I don't need to go down that road here. You've seen them. You've read them. It's awful. And that's what we're trying to defend against for those that we love and care about that have not yet made a commitment to the king. Now, there will be people saved during the tribulation. Explain that a little bit, but essentially we've got a safety net full of holes, right? Revelation 7, 9. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. So a great multitude, we can't put a number on that. Pretty significant. But folks, that's no way to go. Don't hang on in defiance to the Messiah, thinking I'll have another shot at this because probably you won't. It's a rough road to say the least. In Matthew 13, 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the son in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, in the New Living Translation, it says, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. This is a warning. In the Amplified Version, it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear and heed my words. We have until the harvest, folks. We have until the harvest. Only Jesus knows the wheat from the tars. Only he knows. There's people that we love that may be on the outside looking in and we don't know. We have opportunity in all activities that we do, all activities to witness to people, to share Jesus. We are all called to sow this seed. That's how Jesus sows the seed today. He's not physically here, but he's physically here within the believer. And he equips us with confidence and knowledge to sow his seed. We'll go through these pretty quick, but I have a lot of opportunities when you meet people, right? A lot of opportunities when you meet people. People kind of see activities you're involved in. They come up to talk to you. We always have opportunities. We have opportunities to go with people we know are wheat and fellowship together. One of my greatest things I love about going to ball games with, with uh, fellow believers, people I love, is that we get about eight or nine hours of just time together to fellowship, spend time with each other. And then when we get to the ballpark, they're able to uh, sow seed as an example and to talk to people as well. You never know who you're going to meet at the ballpark, right? Anybody could be wheat. Anybody could be tars. We don't know. Dear friends, 
friends that are either work at the ballpark or people we see that are fans all the time. We see together, we have chatted now on text and phone calls and FaceTime for more than a year as we've been separated from the activity that we love. And these are dear friends. This guy right here, Dale Van Wagner. I know you're out there watching Dale. He and I haven't missed an opening day together since uh, 1981. I think it was our first year of opening day together. And uh, he's helped me sow some seed at the ballpark over the years. Sometimes it's not always received very well. These are some angry Giant fans. Sorry to Mark and Kathy there in Giant fans. These, these folks weren't particularly happy with the events that happened on the field, but put our arm around them. We love them on, love on them anyway, right? Because we're supposed to show the love of Jesus as we're sowing seed. And last but not least, you dads, fathers out there, be the spiritual leader in your home. Take your young kids under your wing. Show them the love of God. Right? You have a responsibility. This is a great opportunity to have your children and to teach them and to be that leader. Be the one that they look up to. Right? The, the, first, the best time to have done this was in the very beginning. If you miss that opportunity, the second best time is to do it right now. Wherever you're at, just start doing it right now. I, there's a, such a heavy subject. Jesus is giving this warning. And we are to take heed. We're to listen to this. We're to understand this. And whatever, whatever the field is that we enjoy to play in, work in, harvest in, we have to think constantly about the choices in our own life first and the decisions that we have to make. And then, once through the Holy Spirit, we're made to be wheat, we have to start working earnestly on those that are in and around our life that we love and we care about. To give every opportunity for them to choose Jesus, for them to be wheat. Anybody here, anybody listening, live streaming online, in the future. If you haven't committed your life to Jesus, if you haven't done that, there are serious, serious consequences for not doing so. You've heard the word maybe many, many times. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the word. Please reach out. Do we have the prayer email? Can I do this yet with a prayer email? that work? Oh, here, we'll do it again. I'll go slow. I love the fact that so many of you have utilized this resource. We love praying for you here. That particular email comes only to the elders of the church. We take that very, very seriously. So seriously that we don't share beyond that. We want to communicate with you if you need more information, if you have questions, if you'd like somebody to come alongside of you and talk to you about a relationship with Jesus, that's the place to start. It's serious. It's deadly serious. Again, the TARS have a choice to make. They have a choice to make. I want to be clear and provide an opportunity for TARS to become wheat right here and right now. It's not difficult. It's not difficult at all.
It has to do with the condition of your heart. Seed has been sown. We've sown seed right now. We've had a good time doing it, but yet the seed is out there. What's the condition of your heart? Are you ready? Are you ready to give up the life of being the Tars? Are you ready for a relationship with Jesus? Are you ready to make the commitment? Not just give lip service and say, I believe, and go on living the life you are, but really make a commitment to Jesus? We're going to do that now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunities. We thank you for the warnings. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Father, I know I'm a sinner, and I know that I'm separated from God. I know that you're the son of God. I know that you went to the cross and died carrying the burden of my sins. I also know that you rose again as you promised you would and defeated death for my sins and that you live today. I'm ready to commit to you. I am ready to stop serving sin and serving Satan in my life. I don't know what that looks like, but I ask and I know that you'll be there to help me. I know that along the way I can ask you night and day, 24 hours a day, and you will come alongside me and calm my spirit that I don't have that now, but I want that with you. I pray these things in your name. Amen. I believe that if you prayed that prayer in earnest, that you are in the church. You are a brother or sister in Jesus right now. And again, we want to hear from you. Come forward when we're done. Send an email to that email address. Let us know. Let us celebrate with you. Let us come alongside. It's that important. Now, as we transition into communion, a little housekeeping. We have your communion cups in front of you in most cases. Uh, I will tell you those that are new, dad in particular, get the bread first because if you get the wine first and you go to get the bread, you end up with a stain. We don't want to do that. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the bread represented his body. The, blood repre- the wine rep- represented his blood. And he told the church, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. This is a time to reflect on all that Jesus has done for us, to the warnings he provides in scripture, to the truth of his word, to the salvation that he provides. It is the honest truth, folks. I don't know how else to, I don't know how else to explain it. I have a relationship with Jesus. It's difficult for me to explain many things, but it's not difficult for me to explain that and what it means to me. I want you to have the same experience. So as you take the cup and the bread, take a moment and reflect on what the Lord has provided you for eternity.